Welcome back to another episode of Hidden in Plain Sight. I'm one of your hosts, Jenny. I'm Echo. And I'm Joe. So, our last episode, we have talked about、uh, what are the stereotypes for Asians.、Um, and in this episode, we definitely wanted to dig how we actually deal with them,、um, what are the coping strategies that we might have、uh, to deal with those stereotypes. And I think for this, we're going to have to lean in more on our experience.、Um, and we'll reference some of the research, but there hasn't been any type of study looking at stereotype threat and how Asians navigate it in the workplace, has there? Not that I've seen. So I think this is us by having,、uh, we have to kind of, you know, be on the cutting edge with this and, like, in a way, convey to really our audience, like, what we've done in the past. And maybe that's what they could potentially do or improve upon that to navigate around these stereotypes, right? Though we haven't found that much of a rich study just on like navigating this for Asians, but we also know there are tons of studies out there just trying to see how we can leverage the general study on like people deal with stereotypes and stereotype threats, right? Just off the top of my head, there was an article that, or, or research study that our advisor did. Several years back, looking at how female scientists navigate stereotype threats、um, in STEM. And let me look it up. They found three types of behaviors, and I'll briefly summarize what those are. So they found that women would either fend off the threat, confront the threat, or sustain the self in the presence of the threat. Fending off the threat was basically keeping gender invisible to others or downplaying one's gender. And kind of internalizing, blaming the self. Confronting the threat was taking on more of an active role, so that、uh, it involved advocacy, revenge productivity, so that's overcompensation. And then the third one, sustaining the self in the presence of the threat, that involved redefining criteria for success、uh, and choosing when to fight your battles, so when to stand up and when to stand down.、Mm, that sounds exhausting. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds exhausting. I think that's why a lot of people leave. And I'm wondering if similar patterns would play out for Asians who are tired of dealing with stereotype threat.、Mm-hmm. Could we break down like, a superficial one? Like, could we talk about like, what, for、uh, some of our Asian folks, like, maybe what looking young in the professional workplace, what that means and、uh, how we can even fend some of that off? Yeah, so what does that mean? Looking young means inexperienced. Yeah, it could mean that. Gosh, I just remember like I was, a, I was an adjunct in my mid 20s, and I think like I just looked like all the other like undergrad. I was teaching like freshmen and like sophomore,、uh, and sophomores. It was just an undergrad class. And I, and I think I was quite aware of it, and I just dressed up in a slacks, dress shirt, and tie all the time. Just to get, get away from that. But I, I'm not sure if there's anything else I could have done at that time to kind of fend that off, other than like talk about my experiences and try to look the part. So you showed up to work. Is, is that why you're always dressed to the nines? <laughs>、um, at conferences, at conferences, yeah. <laughs> For listeners、um, who don't know, Um, or it's quite often that I would run into Duck at, on, our, on campus and he would be dressed in like a dress shirt and dress pants, carrying his briefcase. I mean, there are times where he was in his like t shirt, but I think a lot of the times you were dressed up when you were teaching class. Yes. 
I figured that was one of the ways to kind of navigate it. Um, you know, and I feel like you know, at a certain point we have credentials and you know, as we progress on, I think even the, the fact that you mentioned briefcase versus backpack, these are the little things I picked up on the way. I'm like, I'm not carrying a backpack, I'm bringing a briefcase. Or if I do bring a backpack, it's going to be, you know, something that's not, you know, student-like. And I guess the way I carry myself and my tone and my voice, too, just to make sure that I'm coming off as an authority figure to the students was something that I uh, kind of learned to navigate as well, too, to make sure that they take me seriously, you know, even though I know I had the credentials, I had the experience and I felt like I could have taught and, you know, uh, uh, these classes, I think there are times where I'm like, I felt too that, you know, they may be thinking that I don't have the experience or that's been uh, said in a very subtle way to me. You look so young. Like, how old are you, anyways? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you look like one of us. Right? Those are like I feel like the little things that that make it so that what are you saying? What what's what's going on? What's operating here? I'm trying to teach a class, and you're telling me I look the same age as you. I'm like, oh, not really. I mean, I can see how that can um, Asian men can respond to that more naturally versus like Asian women. I think there's an actual social norms on how the age can be shared or not and to a certain expectation i think like in this case you wanted to be able to look young but at the same time you wanted to be seen as like experience it's almost like you wanted to de-link age doesn't equal to experience or you wanted to de-link on like age doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have the competence to do this work so it's a lot of self-monitoring it's a lot of I call it mental gymnastics, thinking about like positive ways, like uh, things that we can do to navigate this and, you know, fend it off. Like, what are some things that you've done? So, Doug, you've dressed the part. So you wanted to gain their respect, be seen as the authority figure. And the way you did that was carry a briefcase, dress very well. Echo, what about you? What I mean, have, have there been situations where, you know, you felt like you had to act a certain way and it paid off? This is like, it goes back to like my, my last job. I often get tasked to do uh, a lot of like research design and running the models and write the, the final report. But at the time that uh, I think part of it is like due to my career stage, but also part of the, uh, also due to the seniority within the team. Even though I'm the one that is usually doing the work itself, but it's always um, other people who get the report in front of the senior executives or the um, more of like out, um, folks like outside of our team. So there was like one time I just said to my boss, is like, hey, um, I realized I have been running this project from end to end, like from day one. So it's almost like ask for her permission on like, hey, can I actually also uh, doing the final presentation all by myself? And um, I feel confident because uh, I have been doing this for two years now and I've seen other people's how they were getting this in front of the people. And um, so can, can you help me to see if this we can make this happen. So in this case, I'm almost like inviting my boss to be uh, become my sponsor or advocate 
for me to do this because I wanted to break that pigeonhole on like I'm just the one that behind the scenes and not to uh, put myself out there. Um, and my boss actually helped me on that. And it was a quite a bit of like a successful experience for myself and also for the team. Ever since then, I think the team started to picking up on, oh, because someone actually did this work, they should be the one actually also present the work. So I think that's started to having this kind of like nice cycle. Trendsetter, Echo, you're a trendsetter. Um, I, that was, yeah, that was the one moment I also realized, well, sometimes you just got to try. Like sometimes you just got to, uh, of, of course, in this case, I, I know this because I have confidence in my own work and I have confidence that I can prepare enough for me to, to be there um, in front of like the executive audience but again like I can see that also like taking some work to get there and even like that one step further I'm like hey can I be this person you have to ask for it which makes me feel bad because in the organization where this just become a natural like you don't need to ask like this is just happen naturally yeah so you brought up something very interesting that I kind of want to just address and kind of highlight is the fact that you had to ask, you had to do a lot of prep work to, you almost have to like bulletproof yourself before you went to your boss to get her approval, her approval, right? Not yes. Her. So I wanted to acknowledge that because that's not something that let's say a white man would have to do. You know, it's, it's just given to him. It's just like, kind of like assume that he's going to be the one presenting. Mm-hmm. Whereas as an Asian woman, you had to not only prepare, you also had to ask for permission to do this. So like you said, mm. it's just like extra work. And I, I feel like a lot of people are just not even there yet. Yeah, that actually speaking of one of the, um, not necessarily like a coping strategy, but I've seen like some other works on this, is talking about how to break that barrier on like uh, stereotypes itself, um, is having the organization have that awareness. Because in this case is, I'm not necessarily saying like, this is like a, people's uh, stereotypes on me that they, they don't want it to put me um, on the stage or anything, but um, I think it's important is like we, when we like for our listeners, you're lucky because you listen to this episode, you know there are this expectation of you to be able to present your own work. But for some people, they probably don't even know that they just kind of like taking advantage of because they felt like, oh, I just do my work, and other people present my work. Um, so I just felt like even on that intervention level, I think the organization or the team, depends on the unit that you're operating under, should have that kind of um, expectation set up up front. A lot of organizations don't have that. So in, mm-hmm. in that sort of team or in that sort of organization, like what would be the recommendation? Well, first of all, is to just have that awareness. Um, and from the senior leadership side, they should be the one that set the example. Like they should be the one that actually invite people or creating that culture of like, hey, you should have those people on the stage where they actually did the work itself, not just someone who are their boss or their boss's boss. 
it flares it that then there wouldn't be a need for this podcast or people like us doing this type of work. Doug, you were gonna say something? Can I prod our audience real quick? Just yes. To... Look, audience members, if you put a lot of work into this and you know it back in front, and you potentially think that it would be presented not in the best way or poorly, perhaps you, the expert, ought to do it because you know that information back and, 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 and forth. And I think uh, I would follow up with what uh, Echo would say. Yes, you know, follow up and be assertive about it. And of course, like, you know, we got to find that balance of like, where do we be, how do we be assertive where that we're, we don't come off as too aggressive. But if it's your work and you know it that well, and there's a chance that you know that it could be presented poorly or uh, or if it gets presented poorly and it reflects poorly upon you, got to take over the reins, just got to do it. Mm -hmm. And then going back to what Echo said, finding that ally, finding that friendly person, whether it's a peer or your manager. I mean, I think the best case scenario is you have a manager who is supportive and open to working with you and giving you the spotlight. But I think what I'm trying to also acknowledge is the fact that you might not have that type of manager. In fact, mm -hmm. you might have um, what a lot of people refer to as the oxygen suckers, like managers who want to take spotlight away from you, who want you to do all the work, but they're the ones who get all the spotlight. So in situations like that, you know, what could you do as an agent employee? Leave? But one of Karen's like suggestion, like switch the, the game. <laughs> Switch domains, leave. Mm. I mean, that is one option: is to is to find yeah. another team. I I don't think that often gets mentioned, but you know that is a possibility. You can find other teams within the organization, depending on how big the organization is. Yeah. Or an organization that's more supportive of it. If that person's not willing to change, right? I hope you know that person may change a little bit. We're gonna take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Have you had to navigate that in the past, Jenny? Where someone uh, presented your work and you didn't get credit for it and... All the time, Doc. That was the story of my life. And I think one of the reasons why I chose a career in academia was because um, your hmm. order in the authorship is a lot clearer than if you were working in corporate America. So I think, I mean, I don't think that was a like direct reason, the only reason, but I think it was one of the reasons, like looking back, why I've chosen a career in academia where, because when you write a paper, when you write a grant, like it's very, very clear who the PI is. Hmm. Oh, Jenny, tell me about it. Like all my work these days is just having my team's name there. There's no like echo or like anyone, uh, which I find sometimes can be can be good for like a collaboration purpose, like within the organization. Uh, so then there's, there's no, there's like a competitiveness coming from it, but it also like just this lack of accountability because this is coming from the teamwork. So then no one actually truly accountable, responsible for this piece of work. Um, anyway, I, I can go on on that one, but yeah, I, I totally hear you on that clear. 
authorship and how, how this really means just from like, I did the work, I'm getting the credit kind of um, perspective. And I think you and I, Echo, we also have to navigate the, the gender piece. So it's not just us being Asian, it's us being Asian woman. So I think that's where the submissive piece comes into play a bit more. Like you're not supposed to be the one who is asking to present. You're not supposed to be the one who is sitting in front of the room and giving that presentation or standing in front of the room. So how does that make you feel? So this is a very interesting one because I also feel like I'm still like, working on this one um, in terms like of finding the right boundary between being assertive versus aggressive. And I can also see like sometimes even like as an Asian woman being assertive can be seen as aggressive, even though the same behavior on a white man, this is just like, hey, they're just demonstrating leadership traits. But my heart just goes out because, you know, our, our, I love that we're able to kind of talk about this in the moment and like even though we say to our audience, like, we're going to try to give suggestions there, we're in process with a lot of these and we're learning and growing and we're trying to pass on the best things that we know to the next generation so that you should those, you know, those systemic biases still be there, know how to navigate that or know that where we landed and continue on with that. For people who can't see this, Duck is like weeping. <laughs> So I, and I, just to hear Echo pour her heart, heart out on this and say, I don't really know, like I'm still navigating this. It just, it just, it, in a way it warms my heart, but it kind of hurts my heart a little bit too, because I feel like these are the things that are just manifesting in the workplace. And I know we don't have like good solutions, but we're all trying to figure it out. We're trying to, you know, bring our best out and to, you know, uh, help navigate the younger uh, folks as well too. So thank you, and thank you for calling that up, Jenny. What are the strategies, what are the tips that I can give to our listeners or even like just myself, like how to how to do that? Um, I don't know about you, like Jenny, if you have anything that you can share, because I, I really struggle in ways like the, the boundary between assertive and aggressive. Yeah, but to answer your question, Echo, I'm still in process too, but I think I've sort of like, I guess, copped out in that I've chosen to follow good leaders. And so, I mean, even my current job, I'm working for someone that I worked for, you know, many, many years ago. And it's because I trust his leadership. I trust his judgment. It's a very collaborative work environment where we can be honest with each other. And I bring these stuff up because, you know, the work that I do is about stereotypes. It's about racism. It's about how that manifests in the research space. And I'm always talking about that with my colleagues, with my research analysts, with um, my project managers. And so it's more, it's more normal, like it's normalized to talk about those things. Whereas I don't think I would have felt comfortable talking about it in like a previous job, like in corporate America. But maybe now it's different in post 2019, post 2020. I love it. That's fascinating. Uh, almost to feel like because this leader has helped you to create that safe environment where you can just normalize that conversation with him or other people on the team. That makes me wonder, so another factor that we organization can definitely think is like how to just create that mm. safe environment or safe space. Um, and regardless like whose stereotypes that we're combating here, right? Like you could be Asian, you could be women, you could be black and Latino employees. Uh, it doesn't really matter. It's a matter of like 
people feel safe to talk about the challenge they're facing, what kind of challenge they're facing, combating the stereotypes. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. Both of you guys know Aitong, right? So she's a fellow um, student, a PhD student who graduated from our PhD program. And uh, she's teaching this summer, so I got a chance to catch up with her um, last week, and we were talking about like uh, things that she can do to authorize herself. And uh, this is kind of a lighthearted uh, uh, example. And I told her, like, you know, one of the ways that you can kind of authorize yourself is talk about pronouns, right? You can say, you know, I go by she, her, doctor. <laughs> to, you know, let uh, the students know. Uh, uh, especially, I think it's the traditional uh, students here that I have my degree from here and I've done the work and I've had all this other experience listen to what I have to say you know so sometimes you have to go and and you know be a little bit lighthearted about it too because we don't want to always be fighting and being aggressive it's it's a lot to have to navigate or to think about because it weighs a lot on us and I can you know there's certain things I feel like at work that still I carry with me like years later uh, and I, I noticed that it has really taken a toll on my health because you know I I'm thinking about this while this other person may not be thinking about this. And for me now, it's like, how do I help reduce that by just alleviating some of these things and kind of making uh, light of it more so? Uh, and how do we go about doing that? Sometimes we may not have a good solution, and that's okay too. I mean, it's been a while since, like, you know, Echo Jenny and I worked together on that research project, but we're still coming together like every every week to plan and to carry these things out and I think the conversations that we have are you know cathartic and it really helps us really navigate the work that we're doing uh, uh, for others is having a really, really strong support group. So let's assume that you don't have a supportive leader. You don't have an organization that is bringing this to the forefront, talking about it, and at least have people, either fellow colleagues, you know, or just like friends who can talk about this with you. I think that's huge, just being able to like talk about this and like vent. It would be interesting to just hear what our um, audience definition of success would be in the workplace and whether they've changed it or not and maybe the same for us what is what is success for us you know when i um started that uh when i uh got into the io uh, the io field uh i think what i thought was successful was like to make you know to showcase that our work is meaningful to a large organization and I just wanted to care less about that a little bit more moving forward because I feel like there's a lot of us that's kind of go out there and do that. And we have done that. And we have showcased that our work is worthwhile. The question for me became like, what is it that I can add to the field or little contribution that I can add and uh, kind of play to that? And I'm, I'm in process with that. I'm still trying to figure that out. And, 
for me, like uh, what was important to me is, you know, doing something that potentially that, you know, my nieces and nephews could benefit from. I don't think I really pivoted that until like about maybe, like, I would say like eight, 10 years ago. The fact that I echoed Jenny uh, and I get to kind of do this work on this podcast and we publish together, like I feel like I'm still doing all this. So I feel like for me, it's like, I don't know, like I, I, I had to do that to know that I'm still doing that work, but it like the success like just changes like every few years, like this, which I thought was gonna be the end all be all wasn't, and that was okay that it didn't pan out. I actually kind of like the world that I'm in right now, the work that, the amount of work that I'm doing, and it allows me to do other work that I feel that is more meaningful. And that work that I do affords me that money and time to do the other work that I want to do. So I guess that's, you know, for me, I had to rejigger that quite a bit uh, you know, the last few years myself. It's almost like a reframing how you think about success. I'm thinking about the, the strategy that I took on like, uh, instead of like confronting the stereotypes on like being submissive, not aggressive, I switched my criteria for success is like, I'm just gonna try it out. I'm gonna say this. And as long as I can overcome that fear of not doing anything, I define my success in that way. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, speaking as someone who is um, in the academic space, you don't have to be in academia to have big impact. And I think that's something that I think academics tell themselves, like, oh, if I publish in this journal, like. Realistically, only other academics are reading that journal. So the odds of that paper having an impact, I guess this is not for everybody, but um, I think you can have just as much impact you know, working in the industry. And, and I think the unit of analysis is also important. Like if I can have impact on one person, that to me is fulfilling. Now, if I can have like systemic change, that's great, but I, I'm realistic, like that's gonna take time. And it's not gonna happen like with one article being able to communicate this to um, a big audience, um, like what we're doing now, I think this is like huge impact. So I think for me, um, the criteria for success is just being able to move at least one person. Yeah, I think that's a nice way to kind of wind down the podcast. So hopefully if you are listening to this, um, even just like realizing that you're not alone and that this is an issue that we're facing collectively as a group, maybe that's, you know, something to take comfort in. I love all of that. Um, and I particularly, I think this is actually a good strategy. Not only, I'm just also thinking this is not only just like help us to combat with stereotypes, but really like all the upset that we have um, had experienced at work, at uh, school, uh, that could be a right one for us to be thinking about what do we think is the success, right? Um, and how this is like really in yourself, not like in other people's eyes. And as usual, ChatGPT gave us another haiku on how to battle or how to cope with stereotypes. And uh, Jenny or Doc, did you want to share this with our listeners? Doc, you want to do the honors? Stereotypes bind. Empathy breaks the stronghold. Hearts embrace what's real. All right, that's deep. <laughs> Love that. With that, I think we can conclude our episode of the day. Um, catch you all later in our next episode. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.